Hey, Aspire listeners. I just wanted to quickly announce that I found out some exciting news about my book, Aspire to Lead. It was recognized as a best new educational book by Book Authority. So they created a list of several books, and it was collections and ranks of best books in the world. And what a great honor it was to have Aspire to Lead recognized. So thank you to that amazing company, Book Authority. And if you're looking for more recommendations, you can definitely go to bookauthority.org to find out the other listings for educational books. As for this week's episode, I'm excited to announce that Dr. Katie Martin is the guest this week. And we get a chance to really dive into what practices we need to leave behind and how to best serve our students so that they're able to prioritize what matters most, which we all know is relationships, connections, purpose, agency, and authentic learning. So join us as we discuss how education must evolve. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I'm so excited to have Katie Martin with me. But before we begin, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, you've been on a a long list of guests I wanted to have on, and it's amazing to speak to you this evening. But before we begin, will you just share a little bit about your educational and leadership journey? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, I think it's important to start a little bit in this journey as a student. A lot of educators kind of loved school or felt really successful. And mine wasn't always the case. I, I didn't really love school. I loved being with all my friends and the social aspect of it, but didn't ever feel really connected to what I was learning. It wasn't until I got to college that I really found out that school could be really exciting and fun. And really, I could dive into topics that I was interested and motivated in. And so it was through a series of courses and connections that I actually found out that I wanted to teach. And I went through and um, had an incredible teacher ed program, which is not always the case, where I learned to be a middle school teacher. So I started teaching middle school language arts. I wanted to be the teacher that allowed kids to read books that mattered to them, that got to connect and you know research ideas and topics that mattered to them and help them find their own voice and what mattered um, in their lives and their community. So I taught language arts. I was able to be an instructional coach that we were talking about. It's such an important journey and um, opportunity to learn, gosh, so much, but really learn how to work with adults and, and learn about professional learning and still think that instructional coaching is one of the most important facets of developing culture and developing really important practices in our schools. And then I was able to be a new teacher mentor and lead our programming for, for our community in, in Hawaii. You know, that was a really awesome experience. I got to connect with the new teacher, uh, new teacher center and, and learn a lot about what it means to, to be a great coach and mentor. And it was all of those experiences. And at the same time, I was going to school myself. So I got my master's and PhD while I was developing these programs. And so I've really developed an interest in the intersection between research and practice. So as I was working in the districts, I was also researching you know, what's been done, what, what's working, what's not, what does research say, and how do I put that into practice? But at the same time, what's research missing that's actually happening in our schools that we need to be paying attention to and studying? So all of those factors together really contributed to 
the next 10 years, which has been much more of a consulting, helping teachers, schools, districts think about their, their goals, their visions, and help align research and practice to help serve the students in their communities. So going back, because your story sounds very similar to mine. I was okay. not a very good student you know, growing up and had a lot of misconceptions of who I was as a learner. And it wasn't until I got, I mean, honestly, a miracle I got into college in the first place. But that's where I found my love for learning and mm-hmm. got some confidence in that. Was there anything that you learned in that college experience that you wanted to translate into your classroom or, you know, work with your new teachers with? Gosh, fun fact, not many people know this. I did not read a book from third grade till 12th grade. Oh, wow. I kind of refused because I I didn't want to read what everyone was making me read. I was able to pass the test. I was able to do whatever I needed to get the B's without reading because the tests were always so rote and the answers were easy to figure out. The teachers basically told you the A, B, C, or D that they wanted you to pick. Mm -hmm. And so when I went into my undergrad, I was, I was challenged in a way that I had to meet in groups. I was responsible for teaching the class about something. So I had to take a chapter in something and be responsible for that. That meant a lot to me that I had more of an authentic audience I had to research people that were interesting to me and connect it to the concepts that we were supposed to be learning about psychology, sociology, human development. And as I started reading and learning about the ways that our brains develop and the way we learn, I was so much more interested in integrating those things into K-12 because I realized how important it was. And then my new teacher credential program was specifically for middle school teachers and It was integrated, it was competency-based, it was authentic, it was all the things that you would want to see in their classrooms that I got to experience as a beginning teacher. Well, I mean, I work in a middle school, I know that, you know, (laughs) force a middle school student to do something, a lot of times they're going to push back because you're not giving them the choice to do it. So what are you trying to do now within, you know, your own company as you work with schools and districts to create a space, a learning environment where the the students have some agency within their own learning. Yeah. I mean, I think that's absolutely it. So one of the things that we've really focused on with our partners is these three concentric circles that I think about. And one is what are the outcomes that we actually want? Many, you know, we talk about backwards design in schools and many of our day-to-day experiences are backwards designed from narrow math and reading and writing standards, yep. which are not bad, right? I'm not saying at all where they're not important. They are very important, but we're backwards designing from very short-sighted goals. So what we try to do is expand those goals to include the whole child. What are the things we really want to see our students develop? There's the agency. We want them to be collaborative. We want them to be good communicators and critical thinkers, global citizens, right? There's all these things that we say we want for our students. And too often there's a disconnect in what we do every day. So we are trying to define those outcomes first and get really clear how to backwards design for them. So that's more systemic. But in the classroom, when we're thinking about simply providing kids choice, right? So choice and agency. Um, And I've I've shared the story of my son, who when he had a teacher who said, instead of giving him a sheet of math problems, she said, here's a problem. What strategies do you have to solve it? Mm -hmm. That simple shift was he was like, Mom, 
I'm smart. My teacher took my strategies and she helped me figure it out. And I was able to share with the class that shift from just complete a bunch of problems and, and, you know, mechanically to thinking about strategies, talking with people, solving problems creates that ownership and agency or in language arts classrooms where you allow kids to pick books that they're interested in or read nonfiction. I would have been so much more invested in nonfiction books or articles or topics, Mm -hmm. Um, but really allowing kids to investigate issues that are happening in our world right now. There's a lot of different views on topics. It would be great to present issues and do research and allow kids to investigate. Um, And then I think those are ways to simpler ways to make the classroom and the experience much more authentic. So what we're really trying to do based on those outcomes is help people think about what are my goals and how do I understand who the learners are in my classroom and help them really think about making the learning experience more personal, more relevant to them. Yeah. I love what you talked about with your son, because that's so true. I think a lot of times as educators, we're always looking for the answer, but we're not really focused on the strategies to get there, right? right? Sometimes it's more important about the process versus just finding the answer. So with the whole child, because I kind of love that that topic and, you know, call them soft skills, essential skills, but what are some things that you're doing to help teachers integrate those more within their lessons? Yeah, I think that one of the big pieces is starting with identifying those, those skills and just being clear what those are. And you know, I was working with a school today and we were, they're defining learner profiles. So in a calculus class, I think it was, they took some time to have young people identify their strengths, things that they're good at, identify goals, what things they want to do in school and beyond. Um, They talked about strategies, what types of learners they are, what strategies help them to learn. Um, And then they talked about who they are as a person and their values. So they created this profile of who they are as a person, which one, makes them feel validated. It two, helps educators understand their students more deeply. And then it allows students to think about how they're going to navigate their path rather than just go step-by-step as the teacher says. So I think learner profiles are a really important way. And then helping kids think about What are issues they care about? Helping, you know, communicating with the community so students are understanding what what problems exist in this world that I could be thinking about and how do I use my reading and writing and math and all of the skills, social studies, the content that we're learning, how do they use those in a way that can apply to problems they're facing or things they're interested in, their community, And then there's a lot of people also thinking more globally and thinking about how they can connect with people around the world to to start solving some of these problems. Yeah, those are all important aspects. And I totally agree that those would be fantastic to integrate into your classroom. I'm wondering, because you travel so much and you're working with so many schools, what Mm -hmm. are a couple of things that you would like to see changed in the educational environment tomorrow? That's a big question. question. (laughs) And maybe it's just in the instructional piece since, you know, you're working very much with like the authentic learning and, you know, the agency and and the whole learner. Yeah. Big picture, I would say grading and, and what we, the the grading piece and assessment. So, you know, we say measuring what matters. If we continue to say 
and see in the world that we need these skills, the essential skills, whole child skills, yet we don't measure them, we don't validate them, we don't celebrate them, then it, we're kind of, we're, we're creating more tension and more frustration for the teachers. So I would love to see things like critical thinking and innovation and empathy and creativity um, on the same level. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about taking a test and standardizing and giving an A, B, C, or D for creativity or innovation. I'm saying we should start allowing young people to capture evidence of what they do in and out of school to really share who they are as a whole person, how they're developing, and helping them to tell that narrative of who they are be beyond A, B, C, or D, or whatever their standardized test scores say about them. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to go there, but that's I, I agree, Katie. So what does that feedback look like? I mean, for someone that's listening right now, they're in their classroom, sure. they're using A, B, C, D, and they're, they can't stand it, right? And maybe they're trying to do some different types of projects in their classroom and, and mm -hmm. working on the essential skills, but they don't know how to provide that feedback. What are, what are some suggestions you would provide to them? Well, I would say first, you have to be clear about what those competencies or skills are that you're trying to develop. So one of the challenges that I think we have is we say, I don't want to grade. So I'm just going to have this open classroom where kids are going to do whatever we want. I'm that's not what I'm advocating for either. Um, clear outcomes, what we're trying to accomplish, and a more um, a more flexible path. So the feedback then becomes instead of we're doing less than three point two today, you got four out of you know ten right, and then we're moving on. It becomes. I need you to understand how to um, multiply fractions. We've been working on fractions at my house. So if that's, the, if that's the goal, then you're like, here are your resources. There are some pathways you can, you, there's programs you could use. There's small groups. There's some manipulatives. I need you to, you know, get there. It doesn't matter if it's today or if it's four days from now, but you're going to have these resources and support to get there. So we start looking at competence mastery and we look at evidence of where students are instead of just the um, multiple choice test on any given day. Um, I'm really grateful. Both of my kids now, um, they're math teachers. So my kids are in sixth and seventh grade and their math teachers um, have allowed them to do retake. So, right, they have a, they have a test. It's a good shift from, you know, you, here's the grade and we're moving on yeah. to here's the grade you received at this point in time. If you've done the homework and if you've practiced and if you've been engaging, you can do the, um, the corrections. So the goal is that they learn the material, right? And so it's not that everyone needs to be on a bell curve and a percent, only a small percentage can get an A. It's the high expectation and oops, you didn't meet it the first time. Here's what you need to go back and revisit. We're going to give you opportunities because the goal is that we want you to develop the skills. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, that's the clear skills and competencies first, and then allowing learners to navigate that path. Some will be faster, some will be slower, um, and allowing them to go through that journey. But I think the, the complement to that is these are skills that are more linear that we need to develop and that are they're standards-based, but then there also has to be some application. Why do these things matter, right? They're also, so if they're applying them, if they're thinking beyond um, just the application or the, the computation, but why does this matter? 
and how can I apply it in some other context? Those are things that are important. If we forget to bring that into the classroom, we're still just going through the motions in kind of lower level basic standards and not getting to those whole child outcomes. So, so that feedback is, Hey, you didn't meet the mark today. It's okay. Let's keep trying. Here's where you need to improve. Here are some resources and tools to get there. Go check out this tutorial, go meet with a small group, come and check with me, um, you know, during some one-on-one time, but it is less, you have an A, B, C, or D and more here's where you are in the journey and here are your next steps. Would that also be taking the behavior piece out of that and really looking at, like you said, that the evidence of mastery? Yeah, this kind of originates from Tom Guskey's work, who's done a tremendous amount of work on grading and assessment, but looking at dividing it into three categories. So where am I in relationship to my peers? Those are important benchmarks that we want to know. Am I reading basically at a level that allows me to be you know, on grade level? Where are my math skills? And just kind of like, as a matter of fact, where are you um, on some of these, these assessments? Then how am I growing, right? We want to know. So as a seventh grade teacher, I had young people come in at second grade reading level and some that were 12th grade and beyond. And that they were reading at a seventh grade level, the beginning and end of the year didn't tell me much. So I wanna know, are you growing? So my student who came in well below grade level because they were learning a second language and they had many other challenges, but they improved four grade levels. They weren't still on grade level, but they made incredible growth and progress. I wanna document and celebrate that. My seventh grader who was kind of just like leveling off that, you know, reading at a 10th grade reading level, but didn't improve or try, that's also something I want to document and share. So I want to know where I am relative to my grade level peers. I want to know my growth trajectory. And then third, I want to know what skills and habits I'm displaying in my learning community that help me to be a more productive citizen, that are helping me be more creative. And so I want to document those and how often those skills show up as well too. And I want that to be a collaborative process with my students not something that is like surprise here's your grade i want it to be something that they're they're owning and that they're responsible for sharing some of that data as well this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there you can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast now let's get back to the episode i could talk to you about this for like another hour <laughs> I know we have a lot of other things to talk about, including your new book, Evolving Education. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Thank you. If there is someone crazy enough not to have purchased your book and read it, can you just give a quick synopsis of Evolving Education? Sure. So this is a book that came out mid-pandemic. It was not a book about pandemic learning, but it really was magnified because of the pandemic, I would say. It is about really honoring the things that we do as educators, the things that are working for our students, the building relationships, the making connections, the um, authentic and meaningful things that are happening in our schools and the communities that exist. Honoring, Honoring those practices and then also realizing what doesn't work and thinking about what we leave behind. So intentionally thinking about evolving education. It's not just like flip the switch and change everything or throw everything out, but it's really being intentional about keeping what's working, 
And when you know it's not like your grading practices or whatever it is that aren't serving your kids and aren't serving your goals to think about what those next steps are. What are the things you want to do differently? So it's broken down into three categories. The first is what do we want? What are the outcomes we want for our learners? So basically what we talked about, how do we really connect with learners? How do we intentionally believe in learners and how do we set the stage for redefining um, what success means with our learners. The second part is about those meaningful learning experiences. How do we practice more agency, competency-based learning, more authentic learning, and more personalized learning? So lots of stories, but also concrete examples in all of them. And then the third part is the enabling conditions that need to be in place so that we can shift those practices. We know we need to navigate change. We need to challenge the status quo and we need, we need to work together to be able to push against a system that has been in place for over a hundred years that has worked and is very, you know, the institution remains alive and strong. And so even though we want something different, it doesn't mean that it's always an easy path to get there. So it's stories and ideas and examples of how people have really collectively navigated that change to do something really powerful in their schools. You're right. I mean, the education system has evolved, especially over the last, what, Mm -hmm. 20 years? I mean, it's drastically changed, um, rightfully so, because our environment, our community is is changing, our country is changing. So we need to do that as an educational institution. So I love the premise of the book. Make sure for anyone listening um, that you go out and purchase that because you are brilliant. You are extremely wise. And I'm going to tap into that one more time with my last question, which is All right. for any aspiring or current leader, what is a piece of advice that you would provide them that they can use tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey? Very important question. And I've been thinking about it. I think the one piece of advice that I would give, I've been working with a, a group of leaders and I ask them to do empathy interviews, to interview their staff or their students, someone in their community based on a problem or a goal that they have, that they want to, some change that they want to implement. And these leaders, amazing leaders all said, we didn't realize how much we just implement ideas and never stop to understand the implications or what other ideas exist. So my, my tip would be stop. Even if you think you have all the ideas and all the answers, stop making assumptions, ask people around you, at least one or two people do some empathy interviews and really understand what someone else's ideas are, what their perspective is, what you might be missing. And if there's a better way to do something else, And I guarantee every time I've done it myself or in, you know, ask someone else to do it as part of a project, they continually grow and, um, and create new and better ideas. I need to do a follow-up question because I'm, I'm intrigued now the empathy interviews. So, I mean, I kind of understand the overarching premise of that procedure, but what kind of questions are you asking? Is it very specific to a project or is it something overarching like? Yeah, (laughs) so good. No, no, glad you asked. So it could be a little bit of both. But Uh so, for example, these leaders are saying like, we want to improve our after school programs. And so I said, have you have you talked to students? Like, well, no, but that's a good idea. So they, they brought in students. Why are you coming to the after school program? What do you like about it? What do you wish we had here that you didn't have? So it's a series of questions to elicit 
ideas, understandings from other people based on your problem. Yeah. Or it could be as simple as, you know, open forums for, for students. How does it feel to be a student here? What, what do you like about our school? What are some things you wish you had? It's a great idea to do it for teachers right now. Teachers are underwater, stressed. Yeah. If leaders, instead of assuming they knew what to do, stop to ask teachers, just get their input. Gosh, we have a problem. How could we fix this together? Do you have any ideas of how we can, you know, so-and-so is asking us to do something. What are your ideas and how could we work together to make this happen? It's such a powerful, powerful tool and, and community builder. Well, that is a fantastic strategy. And I think everyone listening definitely needs to make sure that you're creating some empathy interviews because it's true. I mean, we've got so many different stakeholders within our, our building and it's important to make sure that we get their perspective and have that reflection as a leader. Mm-hmm. So absolutely love that actionable item. Katie, you're, you're just full of knowledge. So for those who are not connected with you yet on social media, how can they do that? I am at Katie Martin EDU pretty much in all of the places on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me there. I have my website, katielmartin.com. So I blog regularly there and you can find previous blogs and ideas and stuff about the books as well there. And learnercentered.org is the website for Learner Centered Collaborative. Awesome. Make sure you're connecting with Katie on all of the social media outlets. And then, of course, make sure you pick up her book, Evolving Education. Katie, it has just been an honor to speak with you tonight. And I just thank you so much for providing so much insight to our leaders. I know you're going to be a huge inspiration once this comes out. So, again, thank you so much for being on this Power Podcast. Thank you for having me.